us, them, by God. No matter who you look at, if you don't know their name or anything else about them, you know this one truth. They are by God. No matter the color of their skin, no matter the background, no matter the socioeconomics, you name it, they are by God. Whether they're from the right side of the tracks or the wrong side of the tracks or live in between the tracks, they are by God. You and I have that distinction and creation has that distinction of being by God. And because of that, we as his followers have a mission. And our mission is to tell people that they are created by God for a purpose. They are created by God for a purpose. I'll say it again later in the message, but when God creates, he doesn't just create because he has nothing else better to do. He's bored and so he thinks he'll create. Rather, God creates for a reason and God creates for a purpose. And God has created you for a reason. He has a design. He has a plan. God has created us together in community for a reason and for a purpose. If you'll turn with me, the book of Genesis chapter 1. Book of Genesis chapter 1. And as you are turning there, first I want to reckon. Welcome and recognize those who are joining us via Facebook Live and later in the week. Uh, join us with YouTube. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Wish you could be here in person, but hey, we'll take you vis-a-vis -vis Facebook. We, we have one faithful person, lady, who's watching us from Ohio on Sunday morning. So do a shout out to you. God bless you and thank you for joining us any way that you're joining us week from now, those of you listening to it on delayed broadcasts on radio, we're just glad to share this service with you. Genesis chapter 1. In this book of Genesis and in this first chapter, the whole first chapter is about God creating this world. We think that Genesis 1 may be in the form of ancient Hebrew and Semitic poetry. It is a chapter, chapter that seeks to communicate that God not only creates, but that God is bonded to his creation. In other words, what God creates, he bonds himself to. He is involved with. He begins a journey of life with what he creates. In creation, we see the intelligence of God. We see the will of God. And we see the purpose of God in what he is creating. And the emphasis in Genesis is on God creating and initiating what he is going to do. In other words, God looks and God takes the initiative in creation. The idea of the word in Hebrew that's used for creation means to create out of nothing. And God literally has nothing. And he creates it out of his intelligence and out of his ability. And then when it comes to man, he creates out of what he has already created. So nothing exists that God didn't begin with the process of creation. He creates and uses that which he creates for his purpose. And all of this speaks of the sovereign power of Almighty God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, 
after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, in this message today, I'm going to look at three passages of Scripture. Most of our time will be concentrated on Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Later on, we're going to look briefly at Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, and then wrap it up in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Verse 26, in the act of creation, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now notice the phrase where he says, let us make man in our image. There's been all kinds of discussion through the years as to what that phrase, let us, is indicating. And there's been discussion and debate about whether that is a reference to the Trinity that God was looking and saying to the Son and to the Spirit, let us together create and make man. Actually, uh, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then later in, in John's Gospel chapter 1, were all three involved in creation. But Jewish, ancient Jewish commentators believe that this reference to let us is a little bit different, the idea, than just the Trinity. It is the idea that God, after he had created everything else, stopped. And he looked at the angelic host of heaven. Scriptures reveal that there are tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of angels. And that heaven fell silent. And God turned and he looked at all those angels in the silence of heaven. And he said, watch what I'm about to do. This is the climax of my creative power. And heaven fell silent as God began to create man. It's fascinating when you look through the scriptures that there are basically three times in scripture that it says that heaven fell silent at the voice of God. Heaven is normally filled with praise and worship to God. But in Genesis chapter 1, the angels fell silent as they watched God create man. When Jesus died on the cross and Jesus cried out, it is finished. Heaven fell silent as it watched Jesus drop his head as he died for you and me. And in the book of Revelation, there is a scroll that is presented. And the question is asked, who in heaven and on earth has the authority to open this scroll. And heaven is silent because no one is found worthy. And then the proclamation is made. There is one who is worthy. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So God looks at heaven and he says, what I'm about to do. The word created is the idea that what God is saying here. Is that what I'm about to do is the master stroke of creation. And God goes to work as heaven in silence watches in awe 
as the master craftsman, as he bends over and he begins to pour his creative intelligence and power and intention and purpose into creative man. Verse 27, so God created man. Our story begins with God. Your story begins with God. I can't stress that enough. Humanity's story begins with God. Your individual story begins with God. Your story does not begin as a surprise or as a mistake or something that wasn't planned. Your story does not begin with whatever it is from your past that you wish sometimes maybe you could walk away from. Our story begins with the Lord God. That is an awesome reality to live with. We are created by the decision and purpose of God. And we draw our value, not from the opinions of others and not from how well we perform, but we draw our value from being created by God. And the more we know the Lord, the more we can fully know ourselves. You see, when I try to know myself apart from God, I'm not going to get anywhere. But the more I understand my Creator, the more we will understand ourselves, both as individuals and as groups, as community, as the work of the God that we are coming to know. What does it mean to be human? doesn't mean that we're a machine, just an organism. It means that we've been created by God to be in relationship with God, to be loved by God, and to love Him back. And in so doing, we live out and discover our humanity. Now, how did God go about creating us? Over in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. In my mother's womb. Notice what the psalmist is saying. You formed my inward parts. You weren't just involved in the exterior of who I am. You went to the core of who I am and shaped and formed me. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I used to watch my mother knit when I was growing up, and she got into this thing back in the 70s called cross-stitching. I don't know if any of y'all remember that or not. It looked like a miserable experience to me, but anyway, because it had so much counting that had to be done with it, but I would watch her and how integral that process was of cross-stitching or knitting and how concentrated you have to be to make sure you get it done right, how focused you have to be. This idea of him knitting us together is the concentration of God, the focus of God and what he was doing when he was putting us together. Then verse 14 says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Two key descriptive words of how God puts us together. The first off it says, I praise you for I am fearfully made. The word there in the Hebrew carries the idea of just being in awe at what God has created. In other words, the writer here is saying, I I look at, Lord, at what you've done in making me and creating me. I look at what you have done in making and creating other human beings. And I step back from that and I just spontaneously have have to offer you praise and worship and blessing. Because, Lord, what you have done 
is, is just totally awesome, God. I am totally blown away, God, by what you have done. Now, I want to use two boxes here as like gifts to illustrate what I'm talking about. The first box I've got here is wrapped up like a present. And when you look at it, it looks totally good. It looks like something that you want to get your hands on and get your hands into. Just by looking at this gift. Now, it's just a box underneath the wrapping paper. But the wrapping paper really does make it look attractive. I mean, if you saw it sitting around, you'd probably think really, really like to get into that box and see what's there. This box, on the other hand, has no wrapping paper on it. It looks very plain. It looks very boring. And if you saw it, you would probably think, oh, that's just some old box, throw it in the trash can. Now, we would make our assumptions on what's in the box or the value of the boxes off of the way they are wrapped or not wrapped, what it looks like on the outside, what it doesn't look like on the outside. But you see, the idea of this verse, which says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, is that what gives value to the gift is not the wrapping paper or the lack thereof on the outside, it's what's on the inside. In fact, the valuable gift could be what's on the inside of this old plain box instead of what's out here. And the reason I emphasize this is the one of the struggles that you and I tend to have in life when we look at other people is that we tend to judge people based on what they are wrapped with or not wrapped with. And we look at folks who meet all the criteria of having nice, expensive wrapping paper on them, something that appeals to us and appeals to society. And we say, ooh, isn't that person valuable because they wrap so well? And then we look at somebody else and we say, they just play him. They don't have much of anything to offer, so they're not having much value. But you see, the issue of value is what's on the inside, not how you're wrapped on the outside. And you see, another problem a lot of us have got is when we get in the mirror. If we feel like we got nice wrapping paper on us, we look in the mirror and we say, oh, man, I'm hot stuff. But then if we feel like we look like this when we look in the mirror, we feel like we're nothing. And what do you do when this gets ripped and torn? We feel like we're nothing. But you see, the issue has never been how well wrapped we are on the outside. The issue is what has God placed on the inside. And when he says that I am fearfully made, that's the idea. Lord, I step back from what you have made and created, and I am blown away, God, by what you have done. He takes it a step further with the next word that he will use, the next descriptive word. He says, I am wonderfully made. <clears throat> the word there in the Hebrew means distinct, unique, and marked out. Distinct, unique, and marked out. It is the idea that when you look at something, it stands out for its distinction and uniqueness. <clears throat> what the psalmist is saying is, God, when you made me and created me, you made me distinct. You made me unique. It is not that we are better than each other. It is that when God made us and created us, He didn't do some kind of generic job in creation. Each of us has a marked out aspect of how God has created us. Our personalities are different and unique. 
The gifts, abilities, and talents that you have in your life are distinct and unique. Your life's journey is distinct and unique. God has crafted you and put you together as distinct and as unique, and our job is to discover that. Now, here's one of the mistakes that we often make. I look at somebody else's distinction, and then I look at my distinction, and I begin to do a comparison, and then I start saying I'm not marked out as well as they are. I don't have what they've got. I'm jealous about what they've got and I don't have. I in, feel inferior because I don't have what they have. I get angry with them because of what they have. But you see, oh, we get all down on what we've got. And it's not as good and wonderful as what somebody else has. When I look at someone else and play a comparison and put myself down in comparison to them, I am rejecting the uniqueness of how God has created me. Rather, we have to say, Lord, you shaped me and molded me and made me unique and distinct and marked me out for whatever it is in the way and the purpose you want to use me. I accept that. I rejoice in that. And I praise you for that. I had a young man in my last pastor, a wonderful young man. Thank the world of him. His birthmark, of all places, is on his nose. I mean, you cannot help but when you look at him and see that birthmark, it just stands right out. And that is a unique aspect of who he is. And several years ago, he was talking to me about that. And he says, you know, he says, I've been poked fun at at school for having this birthmark right on my nose where everybody can see it. And he was really struggling with how he felt like that just marred his looks. And I told him, I said, listen, the Lord allowed that for a reason. And someday you're going to discover how God's going to take that and how God is going to use that. So don't feel bad about yourself because you got a birthmark right there where everybody sees it. Someday you're going to understand why God allowed that. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Now, he moves on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. The word image there means a representative of something. It expresses the creative power of God. It does not exactly depict God. In other words, when it says that we're made in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we're a direct depiction of God. It carries the idea that we possess the life of the one who is represented. Now, we've all been marred by sin. We're sort of like a cracked mirror. And sin mars to some degree that image of God that we are. But here's the main idea, this idea or this concept of being made in the image of God. When God created us, he created us with purpose. A big part of being made in the image of God is being made and created by the purpose of God, for the purpose of God. God created us with a purpose. We don't give ourselves purpose. God has already given us purpose. So many people go through life trying to find their purpose, their reason. But you and I don't make up our purpose and reason for life. God has already given us His purpose and his reason for our lives. Notice it says that God created. 
The Hebrew name for God there is Elohim. It means the strong and the mighty one. He creates with purpose. He doesn't create, as I said earlier, just to be creating. He creates with a definite purpose in mind. God has a design for your existence. He has an intent, a purpose for your existence. And so our job in life is discovering every day the purpose and the design that God has for us. And let me give you a hint. It's going to have to do with two things. Number one, it's going to have to do with your relationship with the Lord. Because God's purpose and intent for all of us is to have an ever deeper growing relationship with Him. The second aspect of your purpose is going to be for God to take your life and use your life to bless somebody else or to bless some other lives. When I live my life for myself, I am going to miss the purpose of God. When I live my life to be used of God to bless other people's lives, then I'm going to discover the purpose, I'm going to get in line with the purpose that God has for my life. Now, notice what it says next about. It says, so God created man in his own image with that purpose. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice that it says that when God created with purpose, when God created in his image, he created with gender distinction. It says that he created male and female. And the idea being there that these distinctions of male and female are distinct and at the same time they are equal. This distinction of male and female is part of the identity that we carry. It is not by accident. Your gender is not by accident. It is by God's deliberate decision as part of his creation of your existence. We are created in that capacity to reflect the purpose of God. If we minimize or deny God's distinction and how he has created us with our gender identity, then we're going to miss his will and purpose for our lives. And I know that there's a lot of discussion these days about gender identity. But folks, I will remind you of what scripture says. Satan is the author of confusion. Part of what Satan seeks to do with us is create as much confusion in us as possible about everything about us. Because the more confusion I am in about who I am and why I am here, the more off the path I become as to the purpose and plan that the Lord has for my life. And so what we need to do is move with God and why He has created us, the reason and the way he has created us. Now, one of the issues that we struggle with a tremendous amount in our society and culture, and all of us probably to one degree or another have struggled with this, is that we think we have to earn our humanity and we have to earn our gender. That God didn't create it and give it to us. We have to earn it. And we have to meet certain expectations in order to earn our humanity and earn our agenda. So you'll hear expressions like, well, a real man does this, or a real woman does this. So if you don't meet those expectations, 
then somehow or another you're not a real man or a real woman. Now, let's talk about some of the expectations that society places on men and on women in order for them to supposedly be legitimate, really human, and a real man or a real woman. Now, I'm going to talk about the guys first. Um, I'm, not, I'm not that well-versed with the ladies, okay? So I'm going to have to take some shots in the dark on this one. And uh, ladies, I'll be judged. I used to say I could judge off of people's facial expressions in sermons. And nowadays with these masks on, I can't tell what's going on with people anymore. Unless you fall asleep on me. And then usually I can sort of tell with that. Someone asked me some time ago if I minded if they ate while I preached. I said, well, listen, I'm used to people be falling asleep on me while I preach. So, you know, eating doesn't really bother me. At least they're conscious. So we'll go with that. All right, for guys, what are the expectations that we tend to have to live up to to be a, a real man? Well, first of all, being athletic, and the more athletic you are, the bigger your muscles are, stronger you are, the more you can do on a court or a field, then the more of a man you are. In our culture, how you handle anger proves your manhood. In other words, if you can get mad and stay mad and really, you know, intimidate people with your anger, that means you're a man because of what you can do with your anger. How well guys can, can hold alcohol is a demonstration of manhood, or even drugs, or vaping, or whatever. How good guys are with the ladies, if they can attract them or not. Turn heads, etc., when they go by, demonstrates their manhood. And often with guys, what we struggle with is that if our own fathers did not say to us by their actions and their words, I accept you and I affirm you as my son, then we tend to spend the rest of our lives trying to find acceptance and affirmation from the larger community of men because we never experienced it from the most essential man in our lives growing up. And so a lot of guys struggle with that. And spend a tremendous amount of time and energy trying to live up to dad's expectations. And if you never feel like you live up to his expectations, then you feel like you have failed at one of the most important places of a man's life. And I see this in particularly with young guys when they begin to move into middle school and into high school. Because at that point in a guy's life, he's moving from the home that he's lived in and the world of the home out into a larger context. And as he begins to explore the larger context of life, whether that's going to be at school, in the community, wherever, one of the things that a lot of guys struggle with at that point is, do I measure up? Do I really, can I really run with the other guys, etc.? And if a guy's grown up not feeling the acceptance and the affirmation and not having then the acceptance and the affirmation of his father, then one of the things that guy's going to really struggle with is where do I go to get that from? A number of years ago, I was sitting with a group of guys I was working with in uh, Chesapeake, and we were having a real gang problem in the Chesapeake and Norfolk areas at that time, and I had this group of guys from my summer jobs program, and I asked them, I said, what's the appeal of a gang? Pretty much every guy sitting in the room was coming from a family where the dad was not there. In many cases, the dad had never been there. I said, what is the appeal of a gang? And they basically told me the gang's your family. And the OG, the original gangster, is like your older brother. 
They were looking for family and looking for acceptance and looking for affirmation from a gang. That was sort of the culture to some degree. And so that's why it's so essential when guys are growing up that they get that affirmation from their dads, particularly as they move into middle school, into high school, because that's saying, if my dad loves me, if my dad accepts me, if my dad affirms me, I don't have to play to a larger audience because I found acceptance at the most important place where I need to find acceptance. I always felt when I was raising our son that as long as my son felt that I loved him and accepted him and affirmed him, that no matter what Jonathan faced out here, if he knew I had his back and I was in his court and I believed in him, that was really the major thing that he needed. Now, ladies, I'm no <laughs> expert on what you all face and what you struggle with, but I'm going to make an observation, may it's right or wrong, okay? In our culture, if you don't grow up looking like Barbie, then you're in trouble. That's sort of been hell up, the Barbie doll. It's sort of been hell up, as that's what, and a lot of young girls that grow up and they play with Barbie dolls, they think that's what I'm supposed to look like and what I'm supposed to be headed in the direction of is looking like a Barbie. And if I don't look and act like a Barbie, then I am in trouble. And then, of course, you turn on the television set and there's all kinds of stuff on there that tells you with models what you're supposed to look like and act like. And are we draw our values so much from that. In this passage of Scripture, what he's saying to us is this. Your value and your distinction of who you are all the way around in your life is not based on the opinions of others. It's not based on the expectations of others. It's not based on how well you and I live up to something. It's because God willed it, and that's how God created you. You don't have to go around proving and earning your humanity. God created you that way. You do not have to go walk around trying to be the real man and the real woman because God created you as a real man and a real woman. You are not some kind of fake walking around. You are not some kind of whatever it is walking around. God made you and created you. If we could just live in the reality of that. And all these distinctions that we have and all these expectations, what do people do who have disabilities? who physically cannot perform up to the expectations? Are they less human because of a disability? Are they less a man or a woman because they are confined to a wheelchair? Or they have some other kind of issue that they are struggling with? Absolutely not. Because what the Bible says here is that God created you in His image. He created you fearfully. He created you wonderfully with, a, with distinction, with uniqueness. And what we've got to do is just learn to accept how God created us and that that means our value is in what He has said about us, not in what other people say about us or don't say about us. And if you haven't received affirmation from the folk or the person that you most crave it and need it and want it from, which is usually a parent, what do you do about that? You camp out in Genesis chapter 1. You camp out in Psalm 139 because your heavenly Father says that He loves you and He accepts you and He has created you and He has made you. And in the end, 
His opinion is what matters most. Now, I want you to see one final truth today. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. God made us, God created us, all I said. And then we screwed it all up with sin. So what did God do about that? Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, looked at us, looked at himself, and this is what he said. God saw that he had created us, and then he watched us sin and mess up and blow it. So what did he do? He could have chosen to have started all over again and said, I'm just going to get rid of humanity and start all over again. That would have been the easy thing to do. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to redeem, I'm going to change the humanity that I have created. I want you to follow me on this, folks, because if you do, this, this is just awesome. When God created in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, God was intricately involved in His creation. He poured His power and His intelligence into His creation. But when you get over to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... In the book of Romans, this is what Romans 5.10 is saying about you and me. It's saying about humanity. That after we sinned, after we separated ourselves from God, God loved us so much, loves you so much, that He was not willing to walk away from His creation. He sent His Son to come and to walk beside us in all our mess. He sent His Son to die on the cross and shed His blood for us to deliver us, save us. The word He uses there is reconcile us. That is, bring us into close relationship with Him. Deliver us from sin to Himself. And God said, I'm going to get more involved with them than I've ever been. 
I'm going to get more involved with them than I was back in Genesis. I'm going to get so involved with them in their lives that I'm going to give the life of my son in order to be involved with them. Folks, do you realize that Adam and Eve back in Genesis 1 and 2, they had it good. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. But we got it better than they do because we get to walk with the Son of God every day. They walked with God just because they had been created. We get to walk with the Son of God every day because we've been created. Then we've been cleansed and set free by the blood of His Son. All they knew what it was was to walk in the garden, which was awesome. We get to walk with Him every day, and we're going to walk with Him into eternity someday. That's how much the Lord loves us. If you want to understand how valuable you are, don't look in the mirror. Look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb. If you want to understand what God has Put inside you and how valuable you are to Him. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't measure your value or the value of others based on what you've done and what other people say about you. Measure your value and every drop of blood that Jesus poured out on the cross. Because that is His statement about how valuable you are to Him. And you can't get any better than that. That's our mission. To tell people, God made you. Jesus died for you. You are of intimate, infinite worth and value to Him. And He's got a purpose for your life. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you this morning. That you have made us, and you have created us, and you have formed us for yourself. And that, Lord, we draw our value exclusively from you. Lord, we offer you praise this day. We offer you blessing this day. And, Lord, we want to live in that relationship with you that you offer us and we can have. And that you literally died for us to have. And so, right now, if you're listening, wherever, and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again. And Jesus, I give my life. If you prayed that prayer here in this room, I want to ask that you would just speak to myself, to Jacob after the service so we can encourage you. If you have prayed that prayer through any of our social media platforms, if you let us know through Facebook or through an email, we would so much want to come alongside of you and encourage you and help you out. If you listen to our radio broadcast and you have trusted Christ, please contact us. We would love to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Jesus, we give you praise right now in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.